0: Thanks for checking out this week's sermon from Bonavista Baptist Church. We invite, encourage, and equip you to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Today's sermon will be about suffering and the role that the enemy plays in it. We often talk about sin, but scarcely mention its source. And when we do, we say it in jest. The enemy is portrayed as a figment of our imagination a temperamental creature that comically holds a pitchfork and stands in front of a singeing hot fire. It's an amusing image. However, this image undermines our intellect and ultimately puts us at risk. Conversely, if I were to mention God, a more serious image comes to mind. He's instantly pictured with reverence. However, the Bible describes both God and the enemy. But for some reason, we take little notice of the enemy. But if we do not realize who he is and what he does, how can we truly conquer that which derives from him, sin? Today, I would like to focus on a specific description of the enemy found in 1 Peter chapter 5. The scripture reads, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. This passage talks about the enemy and his main objective concerning us. It also speaks to suffering. Suffering is used by the enemy and it leads us to question God and in turn, question his goodness. However, God also uses suffering for his divine purposes. So suffering will either refine us or destroy us. Peter wrote this letter because he knew that suffering was coming. To better understand this letter, let's take a look at the historical context behind it. On July 19th, 64 AD, there was an uncontrollable fire in Rome. Most of the temples and houses burnt down. The Romans looked for the culprit. Could it have been the Emperor of Rome? You see, Nero had ambitions to tear down the old buildings and build new structures. However, Nero refused to take the blame and passed it on to the Christians. This marked the outbreak of persecutions. Christians were fed to the lions and maliciously murdered. One night, Nero held an evening party at his palace garden. It was dark that night, and he desired a special ambiance. So Nero tied Christians to poles while they were still alive, coated them with tar, and lit them on fire. This truly showed his hatred and insanity. News of this quickly spread from church to church, throughout the Roman Empire, and when this news came to Peter, he wrote this letter in response. Many Christians were martyred, including Peter. In fact, church tradition tells us that Peter was crucified, but it was Peter's very request to be crucified upside down. He felt unworthy to be crucified the same way up as Jesus, and it was Jesus who predicted Peter's death. Imagine knowing for 30 years that you would die. In Peter's letter, he tells his audience about the suffering at hand. He tells them what to expect and how to persevere. Peter doesn't tell them how to escape their suffering, he tells them how to endure it. He speaks of the devil and how he prowls like a roaring lion. We can ask ourselves does this letter have application for our lives? I'm not in imminent danger. This must only have application for those in dire straits. But when we look more closely, I think this does have application for our lives. Suffering isn't bound by time. Suffering can be physical, mental, or emotional. Peter tells us that believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. This passage is still relevant today. People are suffering all over the world for their faith. Even in North America, our beliefs and freedom are being attacked. This passage is relevant, but it's also personal. Peter tells us that God cares for you, not collectively, but personally. And he instructs us to cast all our anxiety on him. Not just our big demands, but our small, finite, daily worries. Nothing is too insignificant for God. Likewise, nothing is too insignificant for the devil. He will use whatever means necessary to defeat you. So how does the devil defeat us? Peter describes the devil as prowling like a roaring lion. Why does he describe the devil this way? Maybe Peter knew the ways in which lions hunt. In search of that answer, I did a bit of research on lions and came up with some interesting facts on how they hunt. Fact number one, lions hunt at night, not because their eyesight is better, but because they can get closer to their prey. At night, animals are usually sleeping or peacefully grazing. They're unsuspecting. In fact, most animals release their body heat at night, meaning their muscles work less efficiently at dusk, making them slower, making them have less endurance. Number two, lions camouflage themselves, crouching down in tall golden grass, blending into their environment. Guides say that if you see 1% of what sees you in the African wilderness, you're very, very observant. That's because our overstimulated and underutilized city senses are pretty much good for nothing in the jungle. Don't forget, the lion is the king of the jungle. Next, When hunting in packs, lionesses surround their prey and swiftly attack with confidence. Most people don't realize that it's the lioness that does the hunting. They're physically smaller, but up to 30% faster, reaching up to top speeds of 45 miles per hour. And lastly, once the lion catches its prey, it uses its powerful claws to maul and crush the neck leaving the prey paralyzed to be devoured. Now, these are some fairly graphic images about how lions hunt. But the enemy hunts in a very similar fashion. Let's take a look at that. The enemy attacks when we least expect him, when we're peaceful, when our guards are down, when we're living in the flesh and not walking in the spirit. Satan is subtle and cunning, He is intelligent and crafty and possesses great organizational ability. He studies us, stalks us, remembers us, and even learns our habits. The enemy camouflages into our surroundings, appearing harmless and unthreatening. Scripture tells us that Satan is an angel of light. Thomas Brooks, a Puritan preacher, says this, Satan knows that if he would present sin in its own nature and dress, the soul would rather fly from it than yield to it. And therefore, he presents it unto us, not in its own proper colors, but painted and gilded over with the name and show of virtue, that we may the more easily be overcome by it and take the more pleasure in the committing of it. Sin can be camouflaged within the affections of your heart, your desires can be innocently masked. Pure things can be bent out of shape, twisted, and distorted. Now catch this, sin is most powerful when it's disguised. I'll say that again, sin is most powerful when it's disguised. And next, when we see the enemy, we're completely surrounded. We're backed into a corner, helpless and defeated. The awareness of his presence does not guarantee us a solution. By the time we become aware, our sin has often grown and spread like cancer. It controls our very will. And lastly, his desire is for us and our loved ones to go back to his den, that being hell. Satan blinds men to the truth. He lays snares for us, and he steals the word of God from human hearts. His primary focus is to destroy our relationship with God. In the 10th Psalm, the author speaks about the way of the wicked one who plagues society. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places, he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws them into his net. This is real life. You may not believe in the devil, but he believes in you. In fact, your unbelief simply makes you an ideal target. Just as the lion hunts its prey, we too are stalked by the enemy. Lately, Many of us are out of work, out of school, suffering financially, emotionally and mentally. Anxiety and fear are going through the roof. People don't feel safe anymore. We feel isolated and trapped and not knowing what the future holds. What a time to attack. But we're not alone. Believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Believers within this city are suffering the same way as you. So how do we defend ourselves against the enemy? Well, Peter instructs us. He tells us to be alert and of sober mind. Believers are meant to be on guard. The enemy attacks when we least expect him. We need to examine our sin because that's the access point into our lives. We need to remove the idols that lead us into sin. These may be innocent and simple things, But are you placing these things above God? We need to think clearly. Satan loves nothing more than a cluttered mind. We need to be vigilant. It's easy to slip into a wounded mentality. Because sin is innately within us and something that we continually struggle with, we disregard its power and severity. Sin becomes all the more dangerous when it's taken for granted. Indeed, we're all sinners. But ignorance does not lead to bliss. It can lead to destruction. This is spiritual warfare, and we must be on guard. Peter then tells us to resist him, standing firm in the faith. The Greek translates this phrase, stand and face him. Don't run away. Notice how there's no backplate in the armor of God. We are meant to be forward-facing. James tells us a similar thing. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Victory over the devil is not the absence of suffering. Believers must exercise their faith in any and all circumstances. All believers have the capability to overpower the enemy through Christ if they're steadfast in the faith. Faith in God is essential. So let's examine a few biblical stories where faith defeats lions. Do you remember Judges chapter 14, where we have Samson? A young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore apart the lion as one would have torn apart a young goat, though there was nothing in his hand. What did Samson have? He had faith in his heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we have David. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. David had tremendous faith. And in Daniel chapter 6, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. Are you seeing the pattern here? Faith, faith faith in every story and god wants faith to be in your story so is there a nero in your life today Do ravenous lions yearn for your destruction has satan got his hooks in you causing you to worry stress and be tormented peter reveals to us in the last few verses how all of this suffering has a purpose In verse 10 and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast trials are painful suffering hurts it's undeniable but if we hold on to God through these times he can use them I can testify with the trials I've faced in my life He can give us the strength to endure if only we cast all our anxiety on him because he cares for us. He cares so much that he gave his life for you on the cross. He endured the suffering that we deserve. We must remember that our light and momentary troubles achieve for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. We must be strong. We must stand firm in the faith. We all have a choice to make, to turn to God or to turn away from him. Suffering is temporary. The joy of the Lord is eternal. In the safari, people travel with a guide, someone who knows the terrain, the threats, and how to protect the travelers. We, too, can have a guide. His name is Jesus Christ. And if you want to know how the story ends, just turn to Revelation chapter 20, where the devil is defeated. But until that time, we must turn to our guide, our savior, for he will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He will give you the strength to endure your trials. We must trust in Christ.